Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, Rest Church. So delighted to see your beautiful faces this morning. You look mighty exceptional. Um, as we come to uh, today's text, I, I, I want to just go ahead and tell you um, that uh, I have no idea if this will be a short or a long message. Uh, as I told the worship team, my Geiger counter for that uh, in this series for some reason is broken. Uh, a couple weeks back, I thought it was going to be a long message. I, I even told Molly on the way to church because uh, she was downstairs. I was like, you're going to be stuck in there for quite some time. And then it was like 25 minutes later, I'm saying the call up and the worship team's like, I thought he said that was going to be short. I mean, long. Um, so who knows what you're in store for today? That's what, that's what I'll start off with. So if you're a first-time guest, welcome to rest. I'm Cody. I'm one teaching pastors here. I'm the long-winded of the bunch. Um, so joy for you. Um, I'm going to recap kind of where we've been as we've stepped through the sermon series, um, Jonah, the a fishy tale of a faithful God. And, and Week one, we open up and we see that this prophet named Jonah, who had already been following God for quite some time, is, he gets a particular tough assignment for him. The assignment that he receives from God is to go to the capital of Assyria, which is modern day Syria today, into the place called Nineveh. Nineveh was a ruthless group of people. And, and, and he outright, Jonah outright says to God, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to go to those people. And so he goes down and he buys a ticket to get on a boat and sails on a boat towards Tarsus. So that was week one, the prophet. Week two, we find the storm. And while on the boat, he, he gets on the boat and he's going to Tarsus. While on the boat, a large storm blows up. So large so that the mariners become completely freaked out. These are seasoned mariners. And, and in their freak out, they begin to throw their luggage overboard in hopes that it will help them be able to deal with the wind and the waves. And what they quickly find is they're up against an immovable force. And what they don't know is that immovable force is God Almighty himself. And they cast lots to try to figure out what the source of the problem is. And they find out that the source of the problem is Jonah. And they go to Jonah like, hey, bro, you're the reason why all this is going on. He's like, yeah, I already know. 
They're like, what do you mean you already know? Don't you see we're down here? Yeah, I'm running from God. Um, the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who created the seas and the skies. I'm running from that dude. And they're like, well, what do we need to do? And he goes, well, hey, if, uh, if, if you want things to be better for you, you got to kill me. And they're like, what do you mean kill you? you got to throw me overboard and it'll get better for you. And so they, they begin to have this repentant heart and they begin to say, God, forgive us because we're going to kill this man. Right? And so what do they do? They literally take Jonah throw him overboard. And as Jonah gets into the water, week three, we find the fish, not a well, but a fish. Um, And this fish, it's a large fish and it swallows Jonah. Now, like, you know, veggie tales or Bible stories, we try to make it seem like, you know, hey, he gets thrown out into the water. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he gets thrown in the water, a big fish comes up and swallows him. No, it doesn't happen like that. That's not how it happens at all. Um, because as we see, and as we saw last week, Jonah begins this descending nature to the bottom of the sea. And so what, what we see is that God lets Jonah have what Jonah wanted. Week four, last week, we opened up week one of petition where we were looking back at his time in the belly of the fish. Jonah begins um, to record in chapter two his prayer of thanksgiving. He was praying while in the belly of the fish. And as we read um, most of this prayer this morning, we're gonna unpack some of what Pastor A.B. said last week as we look forward to where we're at. So I'm gonna ask you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter two, and we're gonna read verses one through seven this morning. Jonah chapter two, verses one through seven. Let us begin to read. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. I'm going to pause. Anytime in the Old Testament that we see Lord in all caps here, they are signifying God's holy and proper name, Yahweh. Okay, and so that's what we see here in the Hebrew is, is he is, he, he, Jonah begins to pray to Yahweh God. He's using his proper name here. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I called, and you heard my voice. For you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I look again upon your temple. Now coming to our text this morning, verse five. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped about my head. As the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Church, let's pray. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. And God, I pray that as we look at Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving, that God, that we would come with equal thanksgiving. That God, that we would, that we would come to your table to the, to partake of the bread of life and that God, that we would glean from it. That Lord, you are never too far to hear our prayers. May we come to you 
and our brokenness. And we surrender our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Pastor A.B. said last week, we treat the story of Jonah as if Jonah's inside the, the belly of the fish and he's playing checkers and he's sipping on his um, pumpkin spice latte. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why this is in my head, Adam. I don't know if you were thinking about this last week when you talked about this, but I hear Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> Dear diary, today we are stuck in the belly of the well. And so this is not the case. We, we can all come to the same agreement that he doesn't have his, his writing ledger in there and he doesn't have candlelight or his quill and dipping it in the ink. That, that's not at all what's going on here. In fact, the picture that the scriptures paint for us is this dude is stuck in a dark, tight, nasty, bile-filled place, right? I like that word, bile. It's uncomfortable for him. It's, it's pitch black for, for three days. He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know how long he's been there. He, he, he could potentially be thinking, am I, am I stuck in some sort of like a, a, a purgatory type state? He's probably struggling to breathe as he's inside the belly of the fish. However, Jonah's not stuck in some temporal Punishment. He's not stuck in literal Sheol, but rather, as we saw in week three, he's stuck in God's rescue ship. Just think, he's running from God on a ship, and he's willing to die rather than to be faithful to God's call on his life, and God rescues him through the fish. See, Jonah ran... And at this point, God has pursued him, right? And so what we can kind of take away from, from all of this story as we look into the prayer, as we look at the heartbeat of Jonah is this, is that Jonah initiated separation, but God initiated restoration. As we, as we, look, at, as we look at this prayer, we, we, have to, we have to wrestle with this thing. Jonah initiated separation, but God initiated restoration. I, I can tell you faithfully, church, that that is true in your life as well. When we are rebellious, God is always passionately pursuing us to a place of restoration. Jonah was willing to die for his convictions. Jonah thought he knew what he wanted. He thought he knew what he wanted until he was about to receive it, right? He, he was willing to die for, uh, uh, for the cause of not going to Nineveh until the moment that the brink of death was on his doorstep. Isn't it funny how God sometimes gives us what we think we want just so we can find out that we don't really want it? God in his wisdom already knew that this was Jonah's heart of hearts. And so the rescue vehicle is in the waters. It is waiting and it captures him. And here in chapter two, as we look at verses five through seven, we hear Jonah's thankfulness for God's continual pursuit of his life. 
How many of you are thankful that God did not give up on you? So verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. The, the, the picture that we get here is as the waters close in over him to take his life. As, as he sinks in the water, imagine a gate is shutting him inside. That's the paint, that's the picture that, that Jonah's trying to paint through this prayer. He's essentially saying that as I descended, a gate shut over top of me, meaning he knew that there was no escape. His, his physical body, his physical muscles, everything about him had been overcome by the water and the water has won. As we talked about a couple weeks back, when Jonah got through in the water, he didn't all of a sudden turn into Michael Phelps. He didn't all of a sudden start doing, you know, the 400-meter medley relay. He was still the same old prophet. And he, he, he wasn't just some young pup. He had been serving the Lord faithfully for decades. So he's, a, he's probably a middle age to an older man. And so chances are his ability to fight the current, to fight the storm, to fight the seas was little. And so the waters begin to take his life. The deep surrounded me, he says. The weeds wrapped around my head. So what we see here is that he is at the seafloor at this point. Jonah has, has, has came all the way to the bottom of the seafloor. It says that the sea reed wraps around his head. How much lower can you go than to get down into the seaweed? I thought about eating a seaweed salad before you this morning, but I didn't because I don't really like it. I think it's gross, and every time Molly eats it, I'm like so grossed out. It's just like green worms. Anyways, I digress. As we, as we look into this verse, it, it paints the picture to us that his plight is immense. How many of you have ever had a near drowning experience before? I can tell you, it is frightening. It is absolutely terrifying because there, there comes this point of realization to where that you know that you are incapable of taking care of yourself. I was a, a lifeguard at a city pool, and for some reason, uh, kids have courage at a city pool that they would have nowhere else. If you don't believe me, um, I'm sure I'm going to get uh, an amen from uh, my uh, co-pastor here on this one. Uh, every week, a group of kids from Hopkinsville Rec would show up at the city county pool where we worked. And these kids didn't know how to swim at all, like at all, almost like they had never taken a bath or seen water before. But for some reason, every week, at least 15, and I kid you not, at least 15 of these jokers thought, hey, I've never been able to swim, but I should dive off the high dive into the 14 foot of water. And you wanna talk about flailing, 
I mean, we, we knew not to take our towel to the stand. We knew not to wear our hoodies. We knew not to do anything because we were going to dive off that high dive perch that we set on at least five times every single time they showed up. And so I've had the luxury of saving multiple people, but in one in particular, um, it was actually at the ocean while we were... Um, uh, on vacation, and a younger man who was ripped, I mean, like, ripped like a Greek god. And I'm deaf, in case you don't know. Uh, in my left ear, I have like 75% hearing loss, and so if I don't have my right ear towards you or I'm not looking at you, I don't hear what you say. Uh, my wife and I fight about this every day. Um, but I do have medical evidence that says I literally can't hear. But he starts yelling for help. He's out in the water, and, and I don't hear him. Molly basically gives me the right hand of fellowship and says, go get him. And I jump up out of the water and go get this guy um, from the water. And, and, and the water wasn't that deep at this point. I mean, you know, like just slightly over my head. Not, not really that deep. But he had been fighting the ocean for so long that this man who was in tip-top human health could no longer keep buoyancy himself. And he was at a moment of desperation. He cries out in this moment of desperation. And he knew that if he didn't have intervention, death would come upon him. And God used me that day as an instrument to save him, but I, I, I know the plight of that individual in that day, the thankfulness that he had in that moment. He actually brought his family back to, to say thank you, which was really weird and awkward. But as I look at this particular text, having experienced that in real life, I can understand the plight of the words that as Jonah looks back on this particular instance where he can write the words as if the gate is closing over me, the deep has surrounded me, and the weeds are wrapped around my head. He wants us to see that he was hopeless. Say hopeless. I want you to hold on to that. Because as we move, that hopelessness has to pervade into the rest of where we're going in order for us to understand the full context of what's going on. Like a gate, he sinks in. Verse 6, the roots of the mountains I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me for what, church? Forever. Forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord my God. I was hopeless. I was desperate. The gates had closed on me forever. But God has brought forth, has birthed him out of the deep. As we see here, at the root of the mountains, I went down. A.B. briefly discussed this last week. But in particular, I want to go back to something we discussed in week one. We see that he, he goes down. This, this constant theme of going down is reiterated over and over in the book of Jonah. In particular, there is one verse that Jonah really drives this home in chapter one. Chapter one, verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went 
All right, I'm gonna, when I do that, that means I want you to read it for me. From the presence of the Lord, he went to Joppa and found a ship to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. To Tarshish is repeated three times in this verse to underscore that Jonah is not going to Nineveh. Tarshish is an unknown kind of locale as we've talked about, this distant coastland in the Mediterranean, the opposite direction of Nineveh. From the presence of the Lord is repeated at the end of the verse to underscore Jonah's purpose in going to Tarshish. He went down is a euphemism for death. So we discussed this in week one. He's constantly went down and down and down to suggest that his separation from God is a path towards death. The suggestion is that with each step away from the presence of the Lord is one step closer to going down to death. So let's look back at verse 6 with this context in mind. At the roots of the mountain, I went to the land whose bars closed over me forever, yet you brought me out up my life from the pit. Yet you brought my life from the pit, oh Lord, my God. Jonah's descent to death is almost complete as he reaches the roots of the mountain at the bottom of the sea. And this particular place in, 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 in ancient cosmology is, is the place of Sheol. And, and so we're going to bring up this map behind me. And we talked about this map a little bit last week. But kind of what you see as we look at ancient cosmology is that at the root of the mountains or at the column of the mountains, below that and below the sea, is this place called Sheol. Say Sheol. Sheol refers to the realm of the dead, which you would enter in their, in their method of thinking, you would enter and as you do, a gate would shut behind you, a gate that you could not escape, meaning that when you enter the realm of Sheol, underneath the mountain, underneath the sea, you are there forever. Forever. What we see here is that this theme of going down and down and down and down, what he thought in the moment was he was on a literal path to Sheol. But that's not where he goes. The land that we see in verse 6, I went down to the land. In some translations, it might say sand. It might say sandbar. I went down to the depths. What he's saying here is, is I literally got as close to Sheol as I possibly could. And then we see in verse 6 as well, yet you brought up my life from the what church? The pit. You brought my life up from the pit. Jonah is singing thanksgiving over his rescue here. He's singing thanksgiving over his rescue. Jonah had done nothing up to this point to be rescued. He had done nothing to deserve rescue. His salvation was by grace alone. He had been in complete rebellion from God. Yet God in his mercy brought forth the fish. God used the most severe mercy he possibly could in that the fish would ingest Jonah. 
The phrasing that Jonah uses here is a literal copy and paste from David's psalm in Psalm 103. And, and, and as we look at the whole prayer of Jonah, kind of as a whole, it's really best understood as a mosaic of prayers. It is all these different pieces from all over the Old Testament that Jonah cobbles together as, as kind of this Levitical prayer to God of thanksgiving. And, and, and so what we see here is this, you brought up my life from the pit is a direct copy and paste of Psalm 103, where David is praising God for Israel's constant rescue by Yahweh. Notice the direct link in the words here. Psalm 103, verse four, who redeems your life from the what church? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. God has supernaturally rescued Jonah from the pit, just as he did the nation of Israel from that of Egypt, that he thrusted her out, that he saved her from the, from the figurative shield that was Egypt and thrusted her towards the promised land. God has supernaturally rescued Jonah from the pit, from Sheol, the land of the dead, or more importantly, the place where no human being could intervene on his behalf. No way another human being could have intervened in this moment, in this place, in this time, on his behalf. God has brought Jonah to this place of introspection, or better way of putting it, he has broke Jonah's will. He has literally reduced him to nothing. Verse seven, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. Jonah had previously thought, I would rather die than go serve the Assyrian people in Nineveh. That's what he thought until death was imminent. He thought, I can do life on my own. I can run from the very presence of God and be just fine. However, his heart of pride ran into the immovable force of the will of God Almighty and found his life was fading away. At the brink of death, however, the many hours that Jonah had spent in faithful prayer and worship to God came back to him. We can't, we can't look away from the fact that Jonah had already been serving the nation of Israel as a prophet for decades. We can't look away from that. Because what we see is that Jonah, in his backslidden state, runs away from the presence of God. And when he faces the plight of death, he remembers, right? He remembers the Lord. And he began to call out to the Lord. If there's anywhere in this passage that the modern day reader should be encouraged by reading this prayer, it's right here. Why? Why would I be encouraged from reading this? Jonah, having firsthand knowledge of God's patient and forgiving nature, begins to call out to him in prayer. And Jonah says, my prayer came to you. 
It doesn't say that God's ear or God's face was turned away from Jonah, right? It doesn't say that God heard the cries of his people and said, no, you're stuck in Sheol. That's where you deserve. He doesn't pay Jonah for what he deserves. No, what Jonah says is my cry was heard by you. Even in his backslidden state, the the cry of Jonah was heard by God the Father. We should be encouraged as we read this. If a prideful prophet who had directly disobeyed God and who was willing to give up his life for that disobedience can be heard by God in the moment of his plight, then why can't we? then why can't we? Doesn't this apply to us? Jonah knew the scriptures. That's why he remembered. Jonah had spent time faithfully meditating and pouring upon the scriptures. He knew the promises of God. He knew that he was a man of his word, that he is who he says he was. Jonah knew, so he began to call to the father in his distress because he knew that the father would hear him. He knew that there was nowhere that the ears of the Father could not hear the voice of his creation. And so he begins to cry. Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven where you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, what church? You are there. Psalm 66, 20. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. These are things that Jonah knew. These are things that he grew up quoting as he, as he went through his study of the Torah. As he went through his study of the books of the prophets, as he went through his study of the Psalms and the Proverbs, he knew these things and that's why he cries out. Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Isaiah 65, 24, I love this one. Before they call what church? I will answer While they are yet speaking, what church? I will hear. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Church, this is why it's so So, so important that we spend time with the scriptures and we get to know God's word. In our darkest moments of life, God's word points us back to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. God's word tells us that we are never alone, that we are never forsaken, that though we be struck and down, we are never destroyed. Though the sorrow may last for the night, that the joy comes in the morning. That's what God's word does. It is a light unto our feet. 
So just like Jonah, when we find ourselves in hopeless, desperate situations, we can cry out and know that there is nowhere that we can go that can evade the ears of the Holy Father. That when his people call out, his ears will hear and his hand will move to action. Thomas Brooks, an old Puritan pastor, he wrote these words. Remember remember that it is not hasty reading, but serious meditation on holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. It is not the mere touching of the flower by the bee that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time on the flower that draws out the sweet. It is not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove to be the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. What a beautiful picture that we are called to set down on God's word, that we are to meditate upon it just as a honey is trying to extract pollen from a flower. As, as, as that honey tries to draw out the sweetness there that he can, I mean, as the bee tries to draw out the sweetness that he can take it back and that he can make honey in the same way we are to meditate upon God's word so that it would be stored up in our hearts. As David says, I, I, he, he said, I store your word upon my heart that I may not sin against you. God's word helps to guide us in our times of desperation in our lives, just as it did for Jonah. When we walk with God's word some days, it might seem routine. It might even seem mundane. But little do we know that sometimes we're storing up grain in our hearts and in our minds that will be used in seasons of famine for years to come. You, don't, you, you can't discount the study that you do today. You can't discount the study that you do tomorrow because there will come a season that God will bring that revelation back to you and he will use it to strengthen you and to hold you and to keep you tight. Verse seven, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Not only does Jonah's prayer in the depths of the sea still reach the throne of heaven, but he believes it is that it meets God in his holy temple. Why, why is this significant? In the holy temple is during this particular time, the ark of the presence still resided in the temple. The ark of the covenant was, was a physical manifestation of God's presence here on earth. Where it resided, the the people of God knew that there in that locale, God's physical manifestation of presence would be there. Inside the Ark of the Covenant resided a few different things, the tablets of testimony or the Ten Commandments, a golden urn holding the manna that was collected during their 40 years and Aaron's staff that had budded. But more importantly than what was inside the Ark of the Covenant church, it was what was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. 
The mercy seat or the atonement cover was a solid golden slab, and I have a photo here for you, that fitted perfectly on top of the ark. The golden cherubim, which were hammered out of the same piece of gold, had wings overstretched the mercy seat with faces looking downward in reverent awe. The mercy seat existed for one reason. It's because God knew that man could not keep the law that was contained inside of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. That we would always be at separation or at war with them because of our sin nature. The mercy seat had to exist because he knew that the law would keep us far from him. But through the blood, the blood that was set on top of the mercy seat, we could have relationship with God. Each year on the Day of Atonement, or as commonly called today as Yom Kippur, a priest would sprinkle the blood of the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people onto the mercy seat. It's only the death of another that secured forgiveness of sins. It's only through the shedding of blood that the people of God could come to a holy God because God is so holy, so perfect that our sin puts us in direct opposition with him where we deserve death because his holiness cannot be corrupted by our, our, our sin-filled state, heart, and mind. And then in this moment, Jonah knows that his cries are being heard from God because in the temple, at the temple, there is blood on the mercy seat. And so in this moment of his rebellion, Jonah is thinking about the place of forgiveness in his darkest hour. He is doing so because while God hates our sin, Jonah knows that through the blood on the mercy seat, forgiveness can be found. Jonah knew that this was the place of mercy from which God would hear the cries of his people. As God says to Moses in Exodus 25, 22, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, there are the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment of the people of Israel. Jonah knew where the law condemns us and keeps us distant. It was through the blood that we could be drawn near. And that's where his mind goes, is the seed of forgiveness. Little does Jonah know, or anyone else at this time know, that this particular um, thing, this imperfect system of forgiveness, points to the final perfect system of sacrifice that would be given once and for all through Christ Jesus. This passage, as we think about it, as we look at it in perspective of the mercy seat, as we look at it through the perspective of Jonah's rebellion and, and God's salvation of him to birth him out of the sea, to rescue him through the pit, out into the sea, it, it makes us ask this question, is there anyone too sinful for God? Is there anyone too sinful for God? Or, or how about this question? How deep does God's mercy go?
God's mercy will go down to the sandbars and the ocean for the rebellious prophet who deserved to die. God will say, I hear that prayer for mercy. And I will get something down there to save you. No one is beyond that rescue. No one is beyond the mercy of God. Do you, do you hear me, church? No one is beyond the mercy of God. God. It is never too late to repent. It is never too late to turn to the Lord. You have opportunity wherever you are. Don't say to yourself, you don't understand what I've done in my life. You you don't understand how far I've fled away from God. How could he love me? The truth is, is you, you could flee from God as far as you could go. You could hop on a ship to a distant shore. You could run in the opposite direction of what he's called you to do. You could go to sleep while the storm of life is hurling upon you. You could take your chances between God and death like Jonah did. God will hear you even if you've done far worse. If a prideful and prejudiced prophet who was willing to die before submitting to God, can cut through the darkness and the depths of the sea, who can be heard from the gates of Sheol, then you too can be heard today. There's nothing too bad or too big to prevent your cry from salvation from being heard. The blood for your sins, church, has already been spilled. Your bell has already been paid. The question is, is will you step out of the gates of the prison that you are in? Will you step out of the fish that you are held captive by? Or will you be willing to die in the depths of the sea? in the depths of your pride, in the depths of your prejudice that says, I don't need a God. I know how to do it on my own. Will you find yourself in the gates of Sheol one day or will you cry out? Because I can tell you is that there is a mercy seat ready and willing for you today because the blood has already been paid. The blood has already been spilled. Romans 3 tells us that on the cross that Jesus Christ became our propitiation. That means that on the cross, Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God the Father that was pointed at you and at me. And and, and Romans 3 tells us that in the former years that God had passed over the sins, that over and over he had passed over them. They weren't absolved, they weren't removed. But in this new mercy seat in heaven, the mercy seat in heaven, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal perfect being was shed so that no matter where we're at in the depths of the sea, as far as the distant galaxy could go, that we would know that the ear of God the Father would hear the cries of his people and would offer salvation when we do not deserve it. Therefore, all who would call upon the name of Jesus can be saved. It doesn't matter if you've done the most heinous crimes ever. 
It doesn't matter if you've murdered someone before. It doesn't matter if you have committed sexual sins. It doesn't matter what you have done. There is nothing too big that our God cannot forgive. Honestly, the radicalness of his grace is so much bigger than our minds can comprehend. And I asked you this morning, what prevents you from like Jonah crying out from the depths of your life? What's stopping you from turning your life to Jesus? I beg of you today, call out to the mercy seat, call out to the lamb that laid his life down for you. Be like Jonah. Be like Jonah. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna, I wanna ask you just here in your heart of hearts, just, just, just us, just right here, close your mind off, close out everything, put your phone down. I wanna ask you personally, what is stopping you from crying out to Jesus in the situation that you are currently in? Because chances are you probably feel like Jonah today. The gates are closing in over you. The weight of the world is, is more than you can carry. And you're saying, I need help. I need rescue. So I'm going to ask you point blank, what is stopping you from calling out? Jonah said, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I can assure you from the seat that you're setting in, from the living room you're setting in, maybe as you watch this at home, is that your prayer can be heard today by the Father. He's waiting and he is willing to rescue you from the depths of the sea from the depths of the trouble and the place that you are in, he is waiting and he is willing to rescue you. In the belly of the fish, Jonah chose prayer and praise in his pain. Will you choose prayer and praise in yours today. This morning I ask you, have you put your hope, your trust, your life, your heart into Jesus? Have you trusted him as the Lord and Savior of your life? If you have not, I want to offer you the opportunity this morning from your seat, from the place in life that you're at, an opportunity to call out to Jesus. There's no magical words here. The scriptures say that all we need is a contrite and humble heart, a repentant heart. The scriptures say that if we would confess with our mouths and we would believe with our hearts, that Jesus Christ is Lord, we can be saved. So from the place you're setting at right now, what prevents you from calling out to the Lord? I beg of you, to, whatever it is, to lay it aside and begin to call out to Jesus. And this morning you can call out to Jesus by just saying, dear Lord, 
come rescue me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of where I failed you. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. And I will follow you wherever you call me to go. that choice today to follow Jesus. Will you confess, Jesus, I come and I want to follow you. Christian, maybe you've been like Jonah. You've been in a backslidden state. You've been running to Tarshish. You've been running away from Nineveh. You've been running away from what God has called you to do. And you, and maybe it's your pride. And maybe in some situations, it's even like Jonah, you're prejudiced against the people or the place that God has called you to be. And you say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go there, God. And God is calling you. He is, he is putting up you in the depths of the sea. He's trying to wake you up. He's trying to say, hey, be my faithful prophet and rather than kicking and screaming and saying I want to do it will you position your heart just like Jonah did in the belly of the fish and choose prayer and praise in the midst of your pain will you follow Jesus Will you position your heart, your mind, your disposition to a place of prayer and praise? Surrender in the deep so that God can raise you up.